And thank you so much, uh, Lewis, for leading us in prayer this morning. Uh, and now I'm going to invite you all to come with me to Mark's Gospel. Uh, and we're going to read from Mark chapter 1. This is obviously <clears throat> the, the service between uh, sort of Christmas and New Year. And, and we're just in between uh, series at the moment. And so today will be a one-off uh, preach morning and evening. And then next week, we're going to pick up a new morning series. We're going to be in John's Gospel and we're going to be thinking about how we can be one-to-one -one with Jesus, how we're, we're face-to-face -face with Him and in the various accounts through uh, John's gospel. And then in the evening, we're going to pick up Romans again. But this morning, we're in Mark chapter 1, and this is a, a quite a long reading. But as we make our way through this, I want you to, to be noting in your mind uh, the various miracles that Jesus is doing. So if you're reading this on the uh, Pew Bible, you'll find on page 1002. But we're in Mark chapter 1. And we're beginning to read <clears throat> at verse 21. And they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. An evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority? He, gave, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning, see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. 
Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. And so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get, get to him, get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat with the paralyzed man lying on it. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Amen. And we thank God for His Word to us, and we're going to look at it in just a few moments. Super. Uh, kids are excited to learn more. We should be excited to learn more. So let's open our Bibles to Mark's Gospel and to Mark chapter 1 as we uh, piece this together this morning. Uh, and uh, I found particularly helpful was a, a series on Mark's Gospel that uh, a guy, Andrew Satch, did for us at, at the castle a number of years ago, and perhaps a number of our young adults were there. It, it brought Mark's gospel to life for me in a, in a new way, uh, and some of this is a, a way that he had divided up uh, this opening section of, of Mark's gospel. But as we come to it, uh, we, we know that everything in the world is not all as it should be. We know that, don't we? Everything in the world is not all as it should be. The broken spouting, at home that needs fixed, the leaky tap in the bathroom that has been leaking just a little bit for a long time, the flat tire on the way to work, the children crying as you go around Tesco's, either they're your kids or they're somebody else's kids, but either way, they're doing your head in, the cashier who rings an item in twice, and you don't notice it until you get home, and you check your receipt, and you think, all is not right with the world. All is not as it should be. And then you look at yourself in a, in a more serious way, and you think, I'm a letdown. I let myself down. I let others down. I have dreams, especially around New Year. I have dreams, but every year they seem to get further and further away. I make a resolution, and I break it. I hurt people. People hurt me, and I respond badly. Sometimes people just have to do something a little differently, and we write them off in our minds, and we maybe badmouth them to our, our friends. And as we pause and as we reflect, we quickly see that all 
is not as it should be, even within our own skin. And so, as we identify this in the world, the, the external uh, wrongs that we have, as we identify it in and of ourselves, the, this idea that not all is as it should be within ourselves, imagine this. Imagine you had never been to church before, but you'd identified those problems. And today, you walk into church for the very first time, and you, you come and you sit and you hear someone open up this book that you know is a, a holy book of sorts, but you're not really sure what it's all about. And as you hear this book being preached upon, you hear about a person called God, a God, and a God who has promised to come and to send someone who's going to fix all of the things that are not as they should be. And this is what you hear in the Bible. And so you, your interest picks up. It's your first time in church. Everything else that's happening is a little bit strange, but you start to hear this, and your interest is, is uh, you're intrigued. Your interest picks up. You think, I want to hear more. Maybe, maybe this book does have all of the answers. Maybe this book has exactly what I need. Well, as we come to Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 2, what I want us to see this morning is, is with fresh eyes, as if we have walked into church for the very first time, and that we've identified these problems, and we're looking for the answer. And what we're going to find in Mark chapter 1 and into Mark chapter 2 is a preview of God's kingdom. And that's our first point. We have three points this morning, and the first one is simply this, see the kingdom. See the kingdom. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, so we're engaging with this for the very first time. God, this God has promised that He's going to send someone. It's going to be His Son. He's going to come and rescue. He's going to come and sort it all out. So if He has visited this world, what difference did He make? What did He do? What was He like? What would we expect Him to do? What would you expect God's Son to do? Well, as we arrive into Mark chapter 1 then, uh, and into verse 21, what we see here is uh, the writer taking us to Capernaum. You see it there, verse 21? And they went into Capernaum. And where we finish in, in chapter 2 and verse 1 is in Capernaum. So we have two bookends. And as we're in Capernaum, what do we see? Well, it's a, it's a highlight trailer, if you like. It's a, a little film preview. It's God showing us what His kingdom is really like. It's like whenever you go to uh, buy a property or to rent a property, and you, you're able to book in and have a viewing around all of the rooms, and you're able to see it and, and walk around outside. It's exactly like that with God's kingdom. Here comes the king, and here is the preview of the kingdom. So what is His kingdom like? What, what do we see as we read through this? Well, what we see is the, the king's power on display, his authority on display, his very person on display. His heart is here for us to see in Mark chapter 1 and in Mark chapter 2. What we have for us is a little glimpse of heaven unfolded for us. It's a, a little negative. All of the, the younger people, younger than me, will not understand this, but uh, you used to be able to get uh, negatives of photographs, and, and you would get them, and you'd hold them up to the light, and you'd be able to see them. And if you're younger than 
30, you haven't a clue what that is about. But for everybody else, we, we understand the negative. This is what it is. We're seeing the negative of what is to come, of what the king is going to bring, what his kingdom is really like. So let's chart it through. Let's make sure that we pick it up. Chapter 1, verse 21. What do we see first? Jesus, uh, verse 21 through to 28, he heals a man with an unclean spirit. He banishes the demonic. He's par over the paranormal. We'd expect this, wouldn't we? If God's Son comes, if the King comes, if He is the, the champion of light, we would expect His enemies to raise His head and to, and to strike out against Him. Well, Jesus here arrives in verse 21 into the synagogue, and He's teaching, and everyone is astonished. And then verse 24, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? He's power over darkness. But then quickly into verse 29, what do we see? The, the, the text moves quickly. You see it there. And immediately he left the synagogue. Now he's in a house. He's in the, the house of Andrew or of Simon's mother-in-law. And, and she has a, she's a fever. And Jesus goes to her. And what does he do? He, he heals her. Verse, verse 34. He goes on to heal many others. He healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. Do you see what the kingdom's like? We're starting to get a taste for it. He's, he's had power over the darkness. Now he's got power over disease itself. And you can imagine as the word starts to spread, and in verse 34, he heals many with various diseases. What are some of the most popular diseases that we have amongst us? Alzheimer's, heart disease, cancer, respiratory disease, diabetes. You think of all of the diseases that exist, and all of these diseases are coming before the Lord, and He's healing people. It's incredible news, isn't it? And people are turning up. More and more people are coming to Him. And then the text moves again, verse 40 through 45. Now He comes to a leper, to an outcast, to a man who has been made unclean or deemed to be unclean, and he cries unto the Lord, will you make me clean? And so we see in verse 41, Jesus responds, I will be clean. And then in chapter 2 and verse 1 through 12, we, we have this uh, encounter where these guys, we all know the story, these guys start to lower down their friend who's paralyzed, uh, and Jesus speaks and says something really strange. He says, your sins are forgiven, uh, and everyone's expecting him to do the opposite. Everybody's expecting him to say, son, take up your mat and go home and walk. And yet Jesus does something strange. We'll come back to that. He starts to talk about sin. But then later on in the text, he says, uh, verse 11, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. The man's healed. And what happens throughout this is chapter 1, verse 28, and at once Jesus' fame spread everywhere throughout the whole region. No social media, no phones to text one another, but his fame spreads. It's incredible what we get to see, this kingdom preview. People gathering up their sick relatives to, to bring them to Jesus. 
In chapter 1 and verse 33, it tells us the whole city in the ESV or in the NIV, the whole town were gathered. Everybody, you can imagine if this happened in Lurgan, everybody would leave their work. Everybody's uh, leaving what they're doing. If you're in the middle of whatever job it is, you're setting it down and you're going straight away. You're, you're getting someone that's not well and you're bringing them to Jesus. You've got to see this for yourself. The kingdom and the king. And so everybody's flocking to Jesus because they need Jesus. And what we have here in Revelation, or what we have here in Mark chapter 1 and 2 is, a, is what? is a foretaste of Revelation 21, isn't it? If you're not familiar with Revelation 21, that's the wonderful passage in Scripture that looks forward to the day when the Lord will return, and He says, I will wipe every tear from their eye. Talking about us. And there'll be no more sorrow or pain, for the former things will have passed away. And here we see a, a preview, a glimpse of that, of what Jesus is going to do. And in this moment, what do we see? All that is not right in the world being made right, isn't it? All that is not right being made right. All that is wrong in the world is being undone by Jesus. You know those uh, little games that kids have where they, they doodle on a, on a whiteboard and then you can pull it and it goes back across and it, and it wipes it all clean. Jesus undoing all of the mistakes, all of the corruption, all of the twistedness, all gone in His presence. And our response, Mark wants our response to be as we read this, to, to have our mouths wide open. We should be absolutely astonished. Who is this man? We should be speechless. Disease and death and the demonic and the disowned all put right. What a kingdom preview. Well, we've been able to look at the kingdom, but let's see the king of the kingdom. That's our second point. Let's see the king. If we go a little deeper, what does this reveal to us about Jesus? Because at the moment, it's, it's like getting all of the, the best fruit, but we, we, we need to see who's behind this. We need to dig a little bit deeper. What does it show us about God? Because actions disclose something, don't they? Actions draw for us, as it were, the attitude of someone's heart. And what we have here is the heart of Jesus on display for us to see so that we know the character of our God. And what do we see? He's interested in people. He's interested in people who have who've got things that are wrong with them. He comes to release people from the brokenness of this world, doesn't He? He comes to give life. He comes to restore and to change, comes to deal with death. He comes to banish the darkness. And Jesus does this not because He's just cool-hearted and because He's full of some sort of pride and He walks about as if He's the, the, the man with all of the authority. How does He do it? He does it with a, a tenderness, doesn't He? He, he comes, and what does He do? He, he takes, uh, as we see in, in chapter 1 and verse 29, as He comes into the house of Simon's mother-in-law, what does He do? 
Verse 31, he takes her. Did you notice that? He takes her by the hand. And her fever left her. Jesus didn't need to do that. See his compassion. See his, his love for people. Takes her by the hand. And did you notice what he does with the leper in chapter 1? He comes and, verse 41, moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and he, and he touched him. This is a man who, who's been on the outskirts, who everybody runs away from. Nobody has touched this man maybe in years and years and years. He, he might even have had to wear a bell so that people knew whenever he came close. And what does Jesus do? Moves with pity. He stretched out his hand. He touches him. You see the heart on display of our king? You see the kingdom and the king? And so, what is Jesus here to do? What's he here to show us? Well, it's much deeper, isn't it, than, than just a surface-level healing, as good as that is. You see, we, we can't miss the point, the point that lies throughout this. We've been able to see that he's dealing with disease and he's dealing with death, that he's dealing with those who have been pushed to the outskirts, but he's also coming to deal with sin. Look at verse 14 again. Chapter 1, verse 14. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. I'm going to show you this preview. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he calls people to follow him, what does he do in, in verse 16 through 20, chapter 1? He doesn't heal anyone there doesn't do anything strange. He just calls these two fishermen, and they follow him. And in verse 38, what does Jesus say? Let us go to the next towns that I may preach, for that is why I came. I came to tell people about their, their sinful state, the, the problem that they have in their hearts, not the, the physical problem that they have, but the eternal problem, the problem that lies within their chest. I've come to, to save those people who, who can see this, their need for me. I've come to tell them. I've come to warn them. I've come to, to plead with them. I've come to show them and, and care for them physically. But, but much more than that, I, I want them to see that they need me inside, that they need to be born again, that they need to be restored to me, that, that they can't go on living. Yes, I can, I can heal them. I can cast out demons. But much deeper than that, they, they need me in here. They need me in their hearts. So verse 39, he went about preaching. In chapter 2, verse 5, what does he say? Son, your sins are forgiven. It's the harder thing to say. It's going to cost Jesus his very life to say that. Son, your sins are forgiven. The king, as we've thought about at Christmas, descending, coming to earth, driven by love, love for you, love for me to come and to save us. And if you say, John, you're making that up, it just sounds like something that's good to say. Well, look at chapter 2 and verse 17. Jesus goes and he meets with, with sinners. He eats with sinners. And the religious men of the day, they're going nuts at him. Verse 16 of chapter 2, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he eat with the rats of society? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those of you who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. 
came to call sinners. Came to call people that they would have eternal life, that they could enjoy me and enjoy the kingdom forevermore, that they could enjoy Eden restored, Revelation 21, the garden city where we would dwell forever. And so what do we see? Jesus is not just coming to heal people as, as miraculous as that is. Do you know what? If, if we have a disease today and our hearts are still sinful and, and haven't been restored to the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know what it's like? It's like whenever the Titanic hits the iceberg and us getting out a tin of paint and starting to paint the railings. It might be nice, it might smell nice, it might look nice for the next few moments, but there's a much greater problem below the surface. And so as we see the king, we see what he comes to do. He comes to, to save people. He's the friend of sinners. He's the son of God. He's the man filled with compassion in verse 31 of chapter 1. He's the man moved with pity in verse 41 of chapter 1. He loves people and restores people. And in whose presence we are safe and secure from all alarm. And so we see the king, and we see his kingdom. And as we draw to a close, we've got to see this. We've got to see that he is for sinners. He's passionate for sinners. He loves sinners. He wants sinners to repent and to believe in him, and to have what? To have life, and to have it in its fullest. And this is good news for us. It's good news for us because we all know what we're like, don't we? In a room this size with this many people, we know the sins that are present. For those who lust over others. For those who lie all the time and work. For those who steal time from their employer for those who run down others' character, for those who gossip behind backs, for those who bear a grudge, for those who hate a family member. This is good news for us, isn't it? This is good news that Jesus Christ comes in chapter 2 and in verse 16, he doesn't say, I have no time for the sinners. I have no time to eat with those people, with the tax collectors. I want them to have nothing to do with me. They need to tidy themselves up. They need to come and tell me all of the things that they've done wrong, and they need to journey for a mile on their knees in, in repentance. No, he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to eat with those people. I'm going to love them. I'm going to let them see me face to face, so that they can be healed, so that they can experience forgiveness and cleansing and rebirth. Coming to make them new. And so the sin that lurks inside all of us, Jesus is the friend of sinners, coming to deal with that sin, not coming to give us a, a kicking up the church corridor, but He's coming to call us into repentance to own it, to say, Lord, I, I have done this, and to ask for His forgiveness, and then to follow Him. Look, this King and His kingdom is for you today. It's for me. Sometimes we, and we had this experience recently, you know, you, you, 
you get on a plane and, and you walk past all of the fancy seats, and it's awful, isn't it? You see all of the people in first class, or you see all of these empty seats, and you think, that's amazing. Wonder could I ever get to be in that place? And then, then you come down to business class, and they're still amazing. And then you go past like premium class, whatever that is, the extra legroom, amazing. And then you've all the cheap seats down the back. And, and you're, you're stuck there. You can't get out of it. And, and you know that they pull across this little curtain, and that little curtain says, you're not worthy. You can't come up here. You just stay down the back. And whenever it comes to Christianity, that's how we sometimes feel, isn't it? That the king and the kingdom isn't really for us, that we're down the back, we're in the cheap seats, and there's a little curtain been pulled across, and we're stuck down there, and we'll never ever be able to come out of there. What does Jesus do? Metaphorically speaking, he comes and he, he, he pulls that little curtain back and he takes us to himself and he says, you come with me, you're mine, come you with me into my kingdom. That no one's excluded. That no one is messed up in too severe a way. That no one will, will be deemed to say, you're unworthy. If you will repent and believe. Look at who he comes to. Who does he come to? Who does he invite to be part of his kingdom? He invites the unclean to come. He invites the sick and the weak to come. He goes to the outcast, the leper, and he says, come. He goes to this helpless woman who a fever has taken hold of. She's got nothing to offer him. And he says, come. And he comes to the corrupt you see who he calls in chapter 2, verse 13? He comes and he calls a, a tax collector. Come. And he comes and he calls ordinary fishermen in chapter 1. Just normal people working, doing a living, trying to earn a living. He says, come. You see, no one's excluded. It's an open invitation. The king and his kingdom. And so, my appeal to you today is this. Get to know him. See the king for who he is. See this kingdom preview and let it excite you because this is what waits for us further down the line, Christian. This is what's coming. This is who we are. This is what's waiting for us. This is what we have. This is the, the thing that we're waiting to get. We are heirs, we are told, if we are Christians. This, this kingdom is, is going to be like no other. We get to live here forever in a kingdom with no disease and no darkness and no demons, and no death and no sin. We get to be here forever. This is where the king wants to take us. So will you follow him? You see, the, the bookends of this section are simply this. By the sea, follow me, says Andrew Such. That's his little line. By the sea, follow me. By the sea, follow me. Chapter 1, he calls two men to follow him. And then again in chapter 2, by the sea, follow me. So do you want the king? Do you want him? Do you want to be part of his kingdom? 
Christian, does this kingdom fill you with joy? Does it inspire you to live for the king? Does it, does it help you in the darkest of days to know what is coming for you? that the king will take you into his kingdom, and all of these former things will have passed away? Does it excite you to go and do what? Do what we read in this passage of others going to tell other people, you need to experience this kingdom. Why? Because we know that something's not as it should be. It's not as it should be in the world. It's not as it should be in here. But here's the king, and he sets everything right. He redoes and remakes and restores everything. Why wouldn't we want to be part of that kingdom? Why wouldn't we want a king like that? Jesus calls these men and they follow him immediately. And if you're not a Christian here today, will you follow him? Why would you not follow him? Do you see the king? Do you see his kingdom? Come, and follow him this day.